today we're going to wrap up this short series that we've been doing called Be Strong, which is the first series in the book of Joshua that we're covering. And I hope that you've been taking these principles from the Word and you've been applying them to your lives and you're overcoming some fear uh, in your lives. There's a progression to the book of Joshua and fear is the first part. And we need to overcome our fears as we cross over into all that it is that God has for us. Last week we talked about some crazy uh, phobias and some of them really funny, quite honestly. And if you are dealing with one of those that's not funny, uh, to you at all. It's not a laughing matter, but a phobia by definition is an irrational fear. And that's why it's so funny it, it, is that it, nobody else is frightened by that, but you are. Uh, and uh, that's why they call it a phobia. And scientists have been researching where fear comes from for centuries. And uh, they have determined in their minds that it either comes from genetics, that you're born with it and it's passed down, or it comes from the environment, uh, some trauma that you faced, and they've thought for years and years that, uh, that we're, people are born with phobias and that, that it is a physiological problem with the brain. But some researchers uh, noticed something that changed their perspective, and they did this experiment, and they began to watch monkeys, and as they began to watch the monkeys, they realized that monkeys were terrified uh, of snakes, as they should be, because a snake is a, the natural enemy uh, of a monkey. Uh, but then they took these monkeys out of their environment as babies and raised them somewhere else. And those particular monkeys had no fear of snakes at all. And then these twisted researchers did this thing where they took these monkeys that weren't afraid of snakes and they showed them videos of other monkeys being terrified by snakes and being frightened by snakes. And then those monkeys uh, adapted to a fear of snakes just like their friends uh, in the wild, uh, and seriously, the ones that I think we ought to be afraid of are the researchers. And, uh, but what the study proved is, is that traumatic stressful events can have brain-altering and fear-inducing, phobia-causing uh, results, and, and that some traumatic event uh, can create that, that a bad experience with snakes or elevators or frozen peas, you, you may develop some kind of phobia. Uh, towards any one of those things. And we all go through our share of experiences, both good and bad. We have experiences that cause us great distress, and then consequently we can develop fears out of that, or even just some anxiety or caution in, in our lives. But we also have good experiences and faith-building experiences and uh, wins in our lives that can serve as these momentous occasions uh, that take roots in our lives. And the, the question is, is which one are we going to focus on? And are we going to put all our attention on those great events in our lives? We're we going to put all the attention on those negative events in our lives. And the last thing I want to do is to make this study, and especially the last part of this study, a social science experiment uh, or, or some study in social science for every traumatic event in our lives. If it were not created by the enemy, it is a creating an opportunity for the enemy to create fear in our lives. And so the bottom line is, is that through all of that, we've got to fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith, the person, Jesus Christ, and let him control our lives. The children of Israel who entered into the promised land in Joshua were an entirely different group of people than those who left in the Exodus in Egypt. Entirely different group of people. And for one, they saw their parents' generation die off completely for lack of faith. And they could easily learn from that experience to say, hey, we don't tempt God, then we're not going to be blessed if we tempt God in the process. But also, they were either too young or they weren't even born. 
When the people of God crossed the Red Sea uh, and God parted the Red Sea for those people to uh, walk through in that miraculous event. And so they weren't even there. So they don't have, and they didn't have that momentous occasion that led to that victory for them. They didn't have that big win in their lives. So they were primed for fear. We saw in week one that God spoke to Joshua and he calmed his fears and he told him to be strong. Be very strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for I am with you. And he was able to teach his people through three principles of overcoming fear. We've talked about those for the last couple of weeks. I'm going to stand on God's promises. I'm going to walk in God's word, and I'm going to move with his presence. I'm going to stand on God's promises. I'm going to walk in his word, and I'm going to move with his presence. And, and last week, we talked about how the fear of the Lord changes everything for you. It's a game changer. That when you walk and live in the fear of the Lord, and, and we're not to be scared of God, no, we're to be awed by him. And, and we've defined the fear of the Lord as being so awed by all of him that he controls all of you. That we're so awed by all of God that he controls all of us. And, and so as we're wrapping up this last part of stage one in, in the book of Joshua, the stage of conquest. Remember I told you in week one that the book of Joshua is broken into three parts and we're going to cover all three parts. And the first one is crossing over into the Jordan, which is getting ready for victory. Second is fighting the enemy, which is taking the land and going to war. And uh, that's where we're going next. The third is possessing the land. And I'll, you'll see that there's a difference between taking the land and possessing the land. But now we come to the point in Joshua where they're crossing the Jordan River. And they're going to do it in the most dramatic fashion in Joshua chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, turn to Joshua chapter 3. Uh, and the Jordan River at the point at where they're going to cross is usually about 100 feet across. And uh, if you're here in this worship center, I, I'm guessing that's about how far it is across this stage. If you're at Midtown or in the chapel, it's about twice that far, I'm guessing. I, I, I'm not a good guesser at that. Maybe 100 feet across this building. How far, Carl, is it across this building? 100 feet? Okay, so I guessed well. 100 feet, okay? And so Midtown, twice the size, chapel, twice the size. And, and it's usually about 100 feet at the point uh, where they are going to cross. Uh, now... 100 feet, I mean, that's not too big of, a, of an expanse for you to go across, even with a couple million people, right? But they didn't cross the normal Jordan. We're gonna see that. It was at flood stage. And in the flood stage, in the springtime, it's at flood stage, it swells to over or almost a mile across. And it is deep too. And so you can't sail two million people across boats. They would be sitting ducks in the process. And so they needed a miracle. And they needed God to show up big time. And, and as we're going to read, he did show up big time. And, and there are moments in our lives, some bigger than others, there are opportunities for us to believe in God and him to show up. And the bigger the moment or the more dramatic the moment, the more meaning maybe it holds for us or maybe for a greater length of time in our lives. And in these faith moments that our fears uh, can be overcome. And here, here's the first principle that I want you to write down, that the absence of fear is faith. The absence of fear is faith, and the absence of faith is fear. That, that as our faith increases, our fears decrease. But the opposite is true as well. As our faith decreases, our fears will increase. And when our fears increase, our faith, our faith has to increase to meet the rising tide in, in our lives. In the Christian life, you're either gonna be an overcomer or you'll be overcome. You're either gonna be a victor or a victim. 
because life is hard and life tosses us all kinds of things and we're not guaranteed an easy experience. It is going to be a battle and it is up to us to overcome or to be overcome. It is up to us to be a victim or a victor. 40 years earlier, the children of Israel were victims. Overcome by fear. We can't do it. We can't go into land. There are giants in the land. That we, we can't take them. Now their children are standing on the banks of the Jordan River, overlooking this river, just like their parents did 40 years before. And, and they could see milk and honey off in the horizon. Maybe from their vantage point, they could see all of the things that God was promising them, the clusters of grapes, the bountiful fruit, but they could also see the giants and they could see the walled cities and they could see the fight ahead of them. Would they be victims or are they gonna be victorious? It's a matter of faith as it plays out. So how does God intervene at the shores of the Jordan River? Big faith moment. Look at verse one. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left the Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing the river. Now, they were camping there for three days, looking at the river, watching it scream out to them, you can't do it. And you can't cross this. And there are easier crossings probably than where they were at. And maybe some of Joshua's military leaders are, are asking him, are you sure this is the wisest decision? Are you sure this is the place that, that we ought to cross? Maybe you don't realize it, Joshua, there's a big river right in front of us. And I don't know how we're gonna get across that river. And, and Joshua replied, you're right, we're not gonna get across the river without God. And without God intervening in the process, Joshua was tested here and he was going to be an overcomer. And if we follow his lead, we can be overcomers too. And we can overcome fear by increasing our faith and our dependence on God, we can overcome any fear. The first thing that Joshua did to increase his faith was he listened to God. I want you to write that one down. He listened to God. Look at verse seven. Then the Lord told Joshua, today I will make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. This is a big deal in Scripture, that I'm going to be with you in the same way that I was with Moses. Joshua listened to God. He was a unique leader because he had a unique relationship with God. In those days, listen, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, did not dwell within every believer like he does today. That is not the way that it worked and played out in the Old Testament. He only rested on certain people prophets and ministers and those he chose. But, but the spiritual leader of Moses was different because the Holy Spirit rested with, with Moses. Take a look at Numbers chapter 12 on the screen, if you would. And, and I referred to this a couple of weeks ago. That here's Miriam and Aaron having problems with Moses, sibling rivalry, playing out. And God intervenes and God steps in and he says, cut it out. Moses is different. And he put his stamp on Moses. Listen at verse six in Numbers 12. And the Lord said to them, now listen to what I say. If there were prophets among you, I the Lord would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams, but not so with my servant Moses. All of my house, in all of my house, or of all of my house, he is the one that I trust. I speak to him face to face clearly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. Listen, Moses has a clearly a special relationship with God. That God spoke to him in that moment and that day face to face. Now Joshua has the same relationship. God told him, I'm gonna be with you in the same way that I was with Moses. And you say, well, you know, Joshua could hear from God because he was special. And you know, I wish I could hear from God like that. Or I, you know, maybe I need to be a priest or a pastor or, or a 
prophet. And, and I'm saying to you today, you don't. That was then and, and, and this is now. We have a new covenant today. Joel chapter 2 talks about this new covenant. In Joel 2, 28, he says, and then I will pour out my spirit upon all people. All people. And that means us. That's you and that's me. We have the same special relationship. If we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, then we can hear from God. He is our shepherd. We are his sheep. We need to hear his voice clearly. Sometimes I get the question, well, why doesn't God talk to me? Or how, how come I don't hear God talking to me? Or how would I know if God was talking to me? I, I want to show you how Joshua learned how to listen and hear the voice of God. Flip over in your Bible to Exodus 33, if you would. Flip back to the left. Exodus 33. In verse 11, guys, if you'll throw that verse on the screen uh, and help me. Verse 11, Exodus 33, verse 11. It says, inside the tent of meeting. This is where Moses would go to meet with the Lord. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Now watch this. After Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. I don't know if you ever noticed that in scripture, but you, you need to underline as that plays out. He sees God speak to Moses face to face and he wanted that. So what did he do? What did he do? He stayed behind in the presence of God. He stayed where God was meeting with him. And, and the question I want to ask you to do today is, are you doing that? Are you putting yourself in the presence of God? Are, are, are you standing on his promises? Are you walking in his word? Or are you moving with his presence? Are you placing yourself in the presence of God? Are you in the word? Are, are you in church? Are you in a community group? Are you making worship a part of your life? Do, do your kids know that? Do your kids see you do that? Uh, we, we don't have to wonder and we don't have to worry. God will speak. And we can listen to him and we can hear him clearly. And when we do, here's the next thing that Joshua did. He obeyed God. He didn't just listen to God. He obeyed God. You, you listen and obey. It's not enough to just listen or to just hear from the Lord. It's, it's not about hearing from God. That's not what makes you a follower of Christ. What makes you a follower of Christ is you follow that up with obedience, instant obedience. It's not about knowing and hearing. It's about walking it out in your life. Look at how Joshua led the people in, in this discipline. Look at verse two. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. This is very specific obedience. They obeyed specifically. They were given commands from God through the leaders and they followed them. And, and sometimes we hear God's voice. It doesn't make sense and we want to rewrite it. And I've said to you before, if it's odd, it's God. And if he's telling you to do something and you think that is just really strange and that doesn't make any sense, listen, you wouldn't think that up on your own. That's not your flesh encouraging you to do that. That's the Holy Spirit of God telling you to do that. I will never forget this story I read years ago, probably 15 years ago, Beth Moore was telling this, this story. And she said that she was in a gate at an airport and while she was at the gate at the airport, she sat down, the gate was crowded, and she began to sense uh, that God was speaking to her. And about that time, this man is wheeled up in a wheelchair. One of the uh, flight attendants or, or airport employees is wheeling this older gentleman, senior adult gentleman, with long gray uh, matted hair on a wheelchair into the gate to get on the plane. And she said as she looked at that, everyone in the whole gate noticed him and turned and looked because he was so disheveled. 
And she said as she sat there, God's spirit began to speak to her and said, I want you to go brush his hair. Now just think through that for a moment. <laughs> what excuses would you bring to the table? Right, we hear all the excuses of all the prophets and Moses saying, I can't speak. And you know, all, all of the people of God saying, I, I, they bring excuses to the table. We bring excuses to the table too. What would you say to God in that scenario? God, I don't want to embarrass him. Right? I, everybody's looking at him. I, I don't even have a brush, is what she said. I don't even have a brush in my purse. And, and, and so God's just dealing with her. God's dealing with her. God's dealing with her. And finally, she just decided, you know what? I'm going to obey God. And she walks over to this gentleman and she says, sir, I, I don't know if you believe in God. But I do. And he's speaking to me. And he told me to come over here and brush your hair. The man said, okay. She said, I don't have a brush. And he said, I, I have one in my bag. And he reaches into his bag and he hands her a brush. And as tears ran down this old man's face, he said to her, I was just sitting here praying and I have been hospitalized and in special care for over a year for an injury and health issues that I've had. And I'm finally well enough to go home. And I was just sitting here praying and talking to God, thinking, I can't believe the first time I'm going to see my wife after such a long period of time, I look so bad. And I was just talking to God about how bad I looked. And he sent you to come and brush my hair. Specific obedience. Listen, the nature of our faith is that we have a God who speaks to his children. And as he speaks to his children, he wants us to obey him and he wants us to walk with him and he wants us to, to listen to him and obey him. Why? Because he sees the future and, and we don't see the future. Why would he give us that kind of direction? Why would he do that? Look at verse four. Since you have never traveled this way before. Since you have never traveled this way before, you don't know what's ahead. But I do, God says. I, I know what's going on. Listen to me. He is our guide. And, and there is a reason he gives a specific instruction. He can see ahead of us. And he knows where we're going. And he knows how it's going to play out. He can see behind you. He can see to the side. He sees it all. And we need to trust his wisdom over our vision in these matters. But Joshua calls him to another type of obedience, not just specific obedience. He calls him to sanctifying obedience. Look at verse 5. Then Joshua told the people, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. In other words, sanctify yourself. Remove sin and disobedience from your life. There are specific things that God tells you to do, and then there are things that he tells all of us to do, right? And, and he gives you gifts, and he gives you talents, and he gives you passions, and he gives you abilities. But, but there, there's also the just basic Christian principles, from the word of God. And, and these things serve as the guardrails in our life. And, and as we walk with God, it gets more narrow and these principles are always here and your gifts and talents and we're to operate in the will of God between all the gifts and talents he gave us and the basic Christian principles in, in life. And, and I don't think God is under any obligation to give you any more specific instruction if you're not following the general instructions from the word of God with a pure life. And holiness, walking in those things that God calls us to in, in his word. We, we've been teaching you to live your life in this way, listen and obey over the last few minutes. But if you've been through the abide curriculum, you know all about this. And, and it's look, listen, live and learn, right? That's the way we teach it in the abide series, that we look to the word of God. We listen to the voice of God. We obey it and live it out. And then we learn from it. 
And then we look to the word of God. We listen to the voice of God. And, and listen and obey is just another way to put it. It's part of the process. This is nothing new. We've been talking about this for years. Why? Because we believe in it and we know that it works. And it is all about intimacy with God. And, and the intimate relationship with God will lead you to a momentous faith. It will fill your faith. It will drive your faith. It will give you overcoming faith, an intimate walk in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Intimacy is experiencing the perfect love of God. And the perfect love of God cast out all fear. And, and this is how this works and it's how it plays in your life. Now, now look how Joshua leads the people to follow in specific obedience and he leads them to this great momentous, dramatic moment that fuels their faith and quite honestly fuels our faith you know, thousands of years later. Look at Joshua chapter three, verse eight. Give this command to the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant and when you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. Now what happens? Look at verse 14. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam. I wish I had time to go there with you today and, and what that means and how that plays out, which is near Zarethum. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all of the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Now, one more thing I want to share with you from these verses. God did for the Israelites under Joshua the same thing that he did under Moses. And what he did for his parent, the parents, now he's doing for their kids. He's reproducing it for them. Joshua led the people to listen to God and to obey God. One more thing is to remember God. You got to remember God and remember what God has done in our lives. Uh, turn the page to chapter four. And let me just show you what the leaders of the 12 tribes did as they passed over onto dry land. Look at verse five. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, out of the riverbed. 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. I want you to write down the, the phrase memorial stones. Write those things down in, in your Bible. Write them down in your notes. And, and that You are to set these things aside to remind them of God's goodness, of God's power, of God's might, but also of God's grace and of God's love. The stones came from the riverbed, a place they could only reach with God's miraculous power. With the water being pushed to the side in this deep water a mile wide, now they're pulling stones right out of the bed of the river that they have crossed over onto dry land. And they would serve as a reminder to them that God does answer prayer. And when you study the Old Testament accounts of the Bible over and over and over again in Scripture, these memorial stones pop back up and, and you find them again in Scripture. Or there are altars made out of stone all over the place. And it's, it's, you know, at this point in Scripture, a follower of God will stop and put a rock on top of another rock to remember what God did or to worship God there to remind people of what God has done. Now, I know two things about all of your lives. Number one, God has done some great things in your life. Number two, you're going to face some tough times ahead. I know that about all of you in here, right? All of us in here. And, and the, sec the second one, I, all of us understand and all of us can guarantee we're going to face tough times, right? You're either coming out of one, in one, or going into one. 
That's just the way that it works. And life is hard, the life that we live in. But the truth of the matter is the most important of those two is that God has done some great things in your life. And he has done some miraculous things in your life. And as you watch those things play out, you've got to go back to that sometimes. Because when it gets dark and you think you can't go on, you've got to remember God moved in the past. And the way to strengthen your faith is by remembering when God acted. Why? Because you will be tempted to think that he is silent and that he is not moving. And that it's time for me to forget it or God forgot me. He didn't keep his end of the bargain. And if you set up those memorial stones, you can look over them and say, God, I know you moved in the past. I know you're going to move again. You've never left me and you've never forsaken me. It seems in my life that when I go through tough times, it strengthens my faith because the higher each obstacle gets, the higher I can jump. And, and as you walk through these difficulties and as you walk through life, as you, as you build up wins in your life, your faith is strengthened. And, and another thing Memorial Stones did was to teach the next generation. That's what they were for. Look, look at... Uh, Verse 6, chapter 4. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. Listen, going through tough times with your kids, you got a choice to make. You going to give in to fear or are you going to stand up to it? You're going to trust God you're going to bend. How are you going to walk through these things? Are you going to be an overcomer or are you going to be overcome? Are you going to be a victim or are you going to be a victor? The, cho the choice is yours. But if you're a parent, the choice doesn't just affect you. It affects your kids as well. And the tough times are opportunities for you to teach your kids about the character of God. And, and you sit your children down and you're real honest with them and you say, kids, we're in a tight spot. You can't hide it from them anyway. They know, and they're waiting on you to tell them, and they're waiting on you to tell them in honesty, and you can declare, listen, God's answered our prayers before. Let me show you, and take them down history lane. We have these little necklaces that we bought at, at James Avery after Ben's accident when he was two. I don't remember what they say. What do they say on the little deal? You don't remember either. Catherine had one of them on the other day. And just as she walked by into the kitchen, the, the, the little medallion, that silver thing hanging on a necklace, and I saw it. And instantly, instantly my mind went to God was faithful. And God came through, and God was big, and God answered our prayer. And, and it created in me worship. She was wearing a memorial stone on her, on her necklace. And I got it. And you, and you create these moments and you create these scenarios and you take your kids back down memory lane and you walk them through the process. And the history lesson is really a lesson about God's faithfulness. And from any accurate angle, you go back and look at history, you, that is the lesson. 
that God has been faithful throughout all of history. And sometimes it's more for your benefit than it is for your children's benefit. And the faith of you and them is strengthened and it grows and you can become victors through this process too. But there was another use for memorial stones. They were led to take some of the stones and to set them outside of Gilgal. When you read the scripture, you see that, which was an eight-mile walk. That they were to carry those stones out of that riverbed and walk for eight miles. Why not just set them up on the other side of the Jordan River, which they did that too. But, but why Gilgal too? Gilgal was about two miles from Jericho. And you know Jericho was the first city they were going into. And God knew by setting up those stones at Gilgal, they were putting their enemies on notice to say, take a look at what God did. And when you set up those memorial stones, when you remember those things, you're putting the enemy on notice. Last week, we talked about how the demons believe in God and they tremble. Remember that passage in James chapter two? Why do you think they tremble? They know how great God is. And they recognize that. They, they don't fear God. They're afraid of God. But they tremble in the midst of God. And they know how great he is. And when you call to memory those momentous occasions of faith, you're putting every demon of hell on notice. This is my God. And this is how big he is. And this is what he can do. And you need to get back. Some of you, you, you can't operate in life. And you're paralyzed in fear. You're still frozen in fear. And I gotta say to you today, you haven't put your past to death. And you gotta take those things and you're living in your sin or, or, or bent on a life filled with fear and death. And you can't muster enough faith because you're not following God's principles and you're not walking in, in the word. But you've got to relinquish your past, let go of your sins, and let God do what he wants to do in your lives. And you throw those things into the deepest sea of forgetfulness. And, and you can do that today. We sat around talking about how, how to illustrate all of this. And, you know, the obvious one would be to take some rocks and hand you a rock. And it just seems overdone to me scripture for us to you know use a rock over and over and over again but they didn't just use rocks as memorial stones they used rocks to build altars where they would come and they would worship the Lord and, and some of you today you need to take some rocks and you just stack them up as an altar and, and you need to come to that altar and for some of you for the very first time you need to lay your life on the altar and give it to the Lord and, and Many of us, we've done that already, but as Romans talks about, we're a living sacrifice. That we get up off the altar after we do it and we get up off and we walk away and we gotta come back to the altar and lay it down again and again and again and again. 